Hello, welcome to the very second episode of the Down the Rabbit Hole podcast with Rob Wall. Today, I'm very excited to present my sponsor, Ty S. Hey, how's it going, guys? So, we were just discussing, um, you know, like what we could talk about on today's podcast, and and we came up with the idea of uh, self-discovery. Self-discovery is a good one. You're cool if I vape while I do this? Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. it wouldn't be an AA topical type meeting, spiritual meeting without some kind of cigarette or vape or <laughs> yeah, by all means. coffee, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, self-discovery through the steps is something we were kind of talking about a little bit, but it's in large, I feel like for the individual in recovery, not just myself, but for the individual, for the people that I've seen go through this program and... Um, been able to meet um it's one thing i don't think i really thought about a lot when i was trying to get quote unquote sober because at the beginning i mean it's just like all you want to do is stop using you want to stop drinking Mm. i'm not even thinking about the the journey that you're going to eventually go on just inherently by doing steps you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so self-discovery was never really the goal at the beginning. Yeah. I just want to stop. Yeah. And I can't. Um, so, I mean, for me, because I don't want to tell somebody else's story, and I'm, you know, I'm never going to out somebody else's story, but for me, I think um, the biggest one for me was figuring out in the beginning, like, the power greater than myself is that something that... I truly believe in um, from like a conceptual point of view or is that just something that I was using as a placeholder for my faults and failures mm. um, and that journey of um, through self-discovery in finding a power greater than myself I think that kind of started that whole transition yeah well one of the things that I was just thinking about is like before we ever seek to figure out who we are, the first thing we have to do is figure out who we don't want to be anymore. Right. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's very easy to identify with our, our thoughts and our behaviors that mm-hmm. keep us suffering and keep us sick, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, in the case of, uh, alcoholism and addiction and stuff like the, the use and the drinking in itself is is causing us so much pain at the end that we're finally like willing to let go of that. Mm-hmm. But you got to figure we were identified with that forever. Yeah. And I would literally, just as you were saying, I was thinking like alcohol and drugs was my identity for exactly. a long time. So like really what I'm suffering from is an identity crisis, mm. right? Yeah. I, I have this identity crisis where I have this thing that I've been pouring my life into that I've been, as um, the book describes it, worshiping this um, king alcohol or king drugs, whatever. And, you know, I've been a citizen of his denizen realm, you know, of this re- mad realm. And um, I don't know how to be anything other than that. And the first time somebody asked me, and it was actually my wife before she became my wife, she asked me a weird, what I thought was a weird question, which was, um, we were just talking one day and she went, um, yeah, I was just wondering, like, what do you value? Wow. And I was like, what do you mean? 
<laughs> what do you mean, what do I value? Um, well, that's not a question you, you hear very often these days. I guess not, but I mean, for her, it just rolled off the tongue like it was something that she just talked about in normal everyday <laughs> conversations. And I'm like, this is uh, this is not something I'm, I'm used to even thinking about. And I struggled with it. I struggled with it for like a good five minutes before she, she stepped back in. She was like, well, I think you value loyalty. I think that's <laughs> something that you value. Just looking at how I operate in the workplace, how I operate outside of the workplace, yeah. like with my friends and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that... That particular question really opened the door to a lot more questions. Yeah. And that was like, I don't know, I want to say maybe like two and a half years in, maybe three years, I think two and a half years in um, at that point. Um, And I was like, there's all these questions that either normal people or people that are like introspective spiritual people ask themselves. Yeah. I'd never thought to ask myself. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a pitfall, though, that we, we can sometimes fall into when it comes to the values because oftentimes what we value, we have this bad habit of tying our self-worth to the things that yeah. we value, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, one of the things that was instilled in me as a value as a, as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, was hard work, Yeah, you know, because I come from, like, a hard-working, totalitarian kind of family. and. Ditto. Yeah, and so, um, you know, a lot of my self-worth is tied into my work ethic, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's a, that's a dangerous road to walk because it's like, you know, if somebody starts to, like, make you doubt your work ethic, like if, mm-hmm. a, if a superior at, in the workplace or something is making you feel un- unappreciated, mm-hmm. as can often happen, you know, very quickly, that turns into, like, a very bitter, resentful type of experience because, you know, it's like not only are they doubting your work ethic, but it's like because you're so identified with that value, it's mm-hmm. like they're doubting you as a person, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not an easy thing to no. to swallow there. So And and I think in, in talking about the subject today, like self-discovery, knowing what you value, I, I think here's here's what really helped me when I was thinking about identity um, was I think I don't remember what I was reading but it was some kind of spiritualist literature and it was like um, who you are and and identifying who you are isn't tied to how much you produce or what you produce it it ties more into the individual's um, I I feel like I'm trying to paraphrase this but like the individuals just being like how are you as a being what do you what are the things that drive you in your spiritual life and those things are your identifiers um when you're talking about again bringing up higher powers again like what attributes of your higher power are you adapting and in that way becoming more like that um particular higher powers um I don't, I don't know what I would equate it to, but just that like schema of your higher power. And in that, you're able to take attributes of yourself and be more at peace with those things that maybe make you uncomfortable. Maybe those things that are things that maybe you don't like about yourself, but like right now, like the me that used to be like a liar, that still comes up every now and then where I'll think, 
oh, well, this is an uncomfortable situation, and I'll just, like, white lie my way out of this. Mm. But, like, that's a reaction to how things used to be in my life. So do I still identify as a liar, or am I trying to do work to change it? And I think that goes along with self-discovery. Yeah. When you're trying to talk about the things that are inherent. And I think we're getting into a little bit of character defect work and shortcoming work and stuff like that. Sure. When we talk about that. Because there's all these learned um, behaviors. There's all these, um, what I think, um, books like Drop the Rock talk about. Um, these uh, things that kind of were around to, to help preserve us. In our ego, but also like on a primal level, like I'm just trying to be okay, yeah, doing I'm do what I'm doing. So my mind and my ego create these uh, thought patterns and things that um, maybe now aren't useful, but they were useful then because they kind of shielded and protected like my very delicate psyche at the time from experiencing uh, like abnormal amounts of pain. Yeah, I think there's. Um... I think there's like a the five F's of uh, five F's of the fear response or something. I don't know if I can remember all of them. It's like fear mm-hmm. uh, or flee, fight, feed, fornicate, and, and then I can't remember the other one. But yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard those. Yeah, but it makes sense. Yeah, it's it like does. kind of exactly <laughs> what you're talking about here. Because um, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Like our character defects are defense mechanism to a fear response. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. and and it's. And it is primal because it's it's our defense mechanism. It's how we've it's how our species has progenerated and made it through the the ages. Is you know when there's something that we're perceiving as a threat, you know we we, we react with ultra speed and and we do whatever it takes to survive. But the problem is, we've evolved so much over mm-hmm. the years that we're we have this this way higher ability to abstract ideas mm-hmm. than we used to mm-hmm. and so we abuse this ancient sy- system in our brain you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like you know when we were living in the um in the jungles and stuff like that you know it's like our our main threats were you know predators mm-hmm. but nowadays it's like we're not being we're the apex you know what i mean where mm-hmm. there's nothing that that's hunting us so we we perceive threats in a very abstract way yeah, very differently yeah, yeah. so if mm-hmm. somebody's like you know, making us feel financially insecure. Like if a, if a boss or something is, um, making us feel threatened, like maybe we'll lose our job and that's our livelihood and that's how we survive. Or at least that's what we say to ourselves. You know what I mean? Now all of a sudden we're perceiving that as a threat Mm. and reacting accordingly. You know, I I think when, when you're talking about that now, now we're getting into like this, this realm of like emotional trigger responses, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, um, a whole different like psychological like in-depth study i'm sure um that could be <laughs> we could do a whole another series on probably like em- emotional style triggers or trauma responses as as i've heard it referred to as well yeah, yeah. because we don't have this immediate imminent threat of like you know my life i'm my life is going to be no more and now that has transferred itself into the emotional realm. Instead of it being a physical realm, it's now an emotional realm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like getting away from that a little bit, just because like I feel like we could dive off the deep end with that. Mm-hmm. Um, self discovery. I want to come back to it, and I'm going to say the word self discovery a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I 
I do believe that the steps are laid out in such a way that it's, and I think I'm just like hearkening back to something I said right at the beginning, it's configured into the steps in a way that really there's no avoidance of it. Mm-hmm. Like there's no avoidance of self-discovery. I think at a certain point it just you, you're asking yourself how deep in self-discovery do you want to go? Well, yeah. And how healthy or unhealthy does that depth of knowledge like go? Like, cause I have, um, immense like sexual traumas that if I try to dive into all those traumas right off the rip, um, you know, that may not be the healthiest way for me to go about that. Those certain parts of myself that I could rediscover and try to make peace with. Yeah. But in the same realm, when we're talking about more on the spiritual side of things, asking myself questions about the certain activities and ways that I interact with people. Those were the biggest, um, those were the biggest tells and the biggest revelations for me is how I was interacting with the people about me. Because, like, in a way, I, I had worked in kitchens, I had worked um, in, in the music industry, and, um, like, there's a certain amount of speech, there's a certain way to interact with your fellows about you, and, you know, as much as it's socially accepted in those places to act a certain way, it's, it's not healthy. I can say that from my perspective, it wasn't healthy. I, get, I would get yelled at all the time, or I would just be messed up all the time. Um, and um, the authority figures above me would berate me and all this stuff. And it was just, for me, it was just clocking in. You're just clocking in at that point because there's no, there's no one to tell you that's, that's wrong. Like That's probably a very unhealthy habit or could down the line cause you some sort of like again like mental trauma or you know emotional response in the way that i react to other people telling me information but because i'm so sensitive to somebody's criticism i bam smack yeah. i'm i'm right there in that fight or flight response yeah yeah and and i'm either going to like claw try to claw my way out or shut down completely yeah so now you're touching on exactly like where my mind was going it's mm-hmm. like you're never going to discover anything about yourself unless you, you take the mask off, mm-hmm. right? And and that's um, that's just kind of a scary process because we can become quite used to the mask. And, and honestly, I think if you wear a mask for long enough, like you kind of sort of just in, envelop it, you know what yeah. I mean? And you lose track of what was, a, what was part of the persona mm-hmm. to begin with and what was like really there underneath it all, mm-hmm. you know? And so... A part of that, I think, is is definitely ego related, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like if you if you're still in that like people pleasing type of behavior, you know, then yeah. you um, you're probably gonna act accordingly, mm-hmm. you know, and you're not gonna m- maybe do the 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 stuff that you would do deep down, mm-hmm. you know, if you weren't looking for approval. Yeah, and and just as a disclaimer for the people that maybe um, have a um, misunderstanding of of ego 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 is a double-sided coin and and the reason i'm bringing this up is because i wish somebody had brought this up to me a long time ago ego is a double-sided coin it's not just pride and feeling like i'm better than everybody else the flip side of ego is self-deprecation that i'm not as good as everybody else that i'm a piece of crap that i'm not worth the ground i stand on that and that is something that i feel like is a very um Integral, not integral, but something that's a connective tissue between 
me and the next alcoholic. I feel like most alcoholics are addicts that I meet on some level, maybe an extreme level or not as extreme as me, but there's self-deprecation. There's, yeah. there's an entire spectrum of self-deprecation. Yeah, I like to look at ego as um, the story that we tell ourselves. That's where that's where the story we're telling ourselves comes from, is from the ego. And yeah. it assigns value to things. And um, and that's why I, they say like it's a program of ego deflation, right? That doesn't mm-hmm. just mean that we're like get, letting go of pride. Of course we have to do that. Mm-hmm. That's that's um, key. But like when they mean, when, in my mind at least, when they say ego deflation... It, that means like the story we're telling ourselves mm-hmm. is no longer the ultimate truth. Mm-hmm. We're starting to take that story. That's always going to be there. That doesn't go away. Now we can diminish it a little bit, mm-hmm. right? By learning that oftentimes the story we're telling ourselves is delusional. Yeah. And that's not, that's, that's human nature. That's not like specific to, to alcoholics and addicts. Like everybody runs on delusions, you know, but, um, you know, as as that deflates, we're starting to to learn that like oftentimes we're wrong. Off, you know, it's like humility. We start mm-hmm. to get get humility, and um, that's that's when I think we get the most growth. Mm-hmm. You know, because when we can when we can kind of when we can put that stuff to the side, the stuff that we're telling ourselves, and kind of listen to other people and and get some feedback from a few different sources and kind of like really weigh it out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when we can start putting ourselves in situations that we would have never ended up in, mm-hmm. you know, cause you know, a broken mind can't, you know, it's like the mind that created the problem can't think its way out of out it, of it yeah. you know, which is why we need other people's help. Yeah. Other people in which the problem has seemingly been solved, as they say. And, and egocentric, the word used in the book, egocentric mm-hmm. is, uh, I think in, in conjunction with everything that you're saying, it is both sides. It is saying, yeah. That not only do I, what do they say in the rooms? They say, um, um, I'm a egomaniac with an inferiority complex. Yeah, yeah. Right, and that's egocentrism. Is like, um, I'm either on one end of the spectrum or the other. Yeah, I'm either super high on myself or I'm super low on myself. Yeah, and another thing I always say is there, there's very rarely a middle ground. Mm-hmm. So it's like I either want to be the best. Or if I can't be the best, I want to be the best at being the worst. Worst. Makes <laughs> <laughs> so much sense. Um, I, 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 man, I, I don't know. I wish that um, that uh, this this process that we undergo had more intentional conversations about that. I'm lucky enough that sponsorship families that I've had mm-hmm. have really kind of dived into the more. Um, I, I guess psychological part of things and, and I've done a lot of research on my own as well like talking to other people is what I'm saying like talking to other people and hearing their experiences and finding that connective tissue um, because I would be remiss if I didn't say this especially for my home group members but sometimes I like to think that I'm a special kind of special <laughs> that deserves special treatment on special occasions and um, yeah if I didn't say that I'd get in trouble yep. um, but yeah, the ego deflation has everything to do with taking um, those parts of your story that we find that we can't differentiate the true from the false, and stepping them off to the side. What I believe goes off to the side, and and in its place, taking new ideas and new perspectives and and what we call psychic changes. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things that I've been trying to experiment with recently is um, 
like some of the some of the videos I've been doing on uh, Twelve Rules for Life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like Jordan Peterson. Yeah, Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. talks a lot about dominance hierarchy and how they've always mm-hmm. existed and everything like that. And so, you know, like our brains are kind of wired that way. And so, like even in my workplace, you know, there's a dominance hierarchy, and and I'm on it somewhere. You know, maybe maybe sometimes w- my perception of my placement within that hierarchy can be delusional sometimes, but like. I'm definitely um, not on the bottom of it by any means. Um, and uh, although I would say more towards the bottom than the top, for sure. <laughs> but, but regardless, I'm not on the bottom. And um, and so one of the things that I've been experimenting with recently, like in the workplace, is when somebody that I perceive as below me makes a suggestion to me, I've been trying to take it, even mm-hmm. though I never would have done that in the past. Because right. it's like I'll take a suggestion from somebody higher up because most of the time for self-seeking motives, it's not so much that I think this is a great idea and that I'm, uh, I'm happy to do it. It's more along the lines of like, oh, I want, I want to make this guy happy because I'm trying to move up the yeah, hierarchy the you know yeah, exactly. what I mean so but yeah. I've been taking suggestions from like everybody and it's been working out relatively well for me uh one thing that um you know I've noticed is that uh when I let go of like some of the the ambition the, the really strong ambitions that drive me in the workplace you know I, I tend to enjoy the job a little bit more which in as a byproduct of it makes me kind of a little bit more effective at the job itself mm-hmm. you know and I see people that I work with that I'm friends with all the time that are that have that old mind state that they just want to they just want to rise up the ladder they want to uh, through their own you know will power and, yeah you know and it's just like what what I see mostly is them just stressing themselves out and driving <laughs> themselves crazy and like reducing their are you talking efficiency. About me, Rob? No, no, but I'm sure I'm sure it <laughs> applies because it does. It, you know. <laughs> Dude, I could slip back into it at any given moment, you know, but, and that's the other thing when you were talking earlier, something that popped into my mind is so many people chase success Oh yeah, and that's, and that's flawed. It's putting the cart before the horse or whatever they say, you know, because success is a byproduct of other things, other mm-hmm. attributes, you know, and it's a byproduct of efficiency, for example. And, mm-hmm. and so like in order to be efficient, you know, you need to organize your mind in a certain way. And I mm-hmm. think that's where like, that's where the the program starts to get very practical yeah you know because it's like when you're running on self-will right when you're running on character defects and trying to control everything Mm. and like arrange it just as you see fit thinking that you know best you know it not it never works out it causes you great great stress and then you know your efficiency goes way down and so when you start to like really learn how to turn things over and you're stopped trying to take control of things it frees you up to kind of take situations as they come with relative ease and peace of mind and serenity and you can really yeah. become way way more efficient that way and and as a byproduct of that you just start to be kind of a little bit more successful in your endeavors that's true and i um it and the reason i think i said like are you talking about me is because <laughs> <laughs> i mean like i'm a workaholic in every sense of the word mm. like i i you know and i i feel like for the past six and a half plus years i've been sober that's how i dealt with a lot of my own issues which hindered me from finding that um and being a part of discovering myself because if i could just drown myself in work or if i can just 
find this one goal that is like something tangible that I can I can reach out I can touch I can have it um, that that would make me feel whole inside and and it didn't it didn't and I've been doing the job that I've been doing for a long time and now I'm 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 in a place where you were just talking about I'm now in a place of authority in my job mm. so I'm constantly having to reevaluate the way that I'm viewing things. I mean, literally, just before we started this podcast, I got uh, a text message on my phone from from a, a subordinate, and it wasn't one that I wanted. And I immediately got frustrated, and you saw it. Mm-hmm. I got frustrated because the plans that I had created in my mind um, were solidified in a way that I felt like I didn't have to deal with any more problems at that point. And um, life doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Um, in the workplace and it doesn't work that way out in the world in general like things are always going to come up and it's your reaction to those things that really are the kind of the test of whether or not you're taking that initial time to breathe to pray about it to possibly call someone else um, and spit all these ideas and then turning your attention to somebody that you could possibly do something for again the the big three is what I call it in the big book the big three ideas that are supposed to help to rearrange our thought processes and bring us back to a nominal spot uh, where we can think clearly and a, and a lot of times when I get upset I can't think clearly I can't think clearly at all and then I make poor decisions um, whether that be yelling at a coworker or getting upset with my spouse when I come home um, because I have these things in life that I'm still trying to control and I haven't relinquished control because I say, God, you got the drinking, you've got the drugs, that's fine. You can have that part. But I'm going to keep this. This is yeah. mine now. You know <laughs> what I mean? This is mine. Don't touch this. Well, that's because we're still identified with that Exactly. Stuff. And so to bring it full circle, mm-hmm. you know, it's back to that, like, lack of self-discovery. Yep. You know? Because mm-hmm. I used to do the same thing, especially when it came to lust. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, all right, I've given you a lot, God, but, like, I'm going to keep a hold of this one because... You know, in my mind, it's like I'm not going to give my sex life over to God. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that just that just felt weird to even say. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, um, you know, I hung on to that for so so long, and 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 it was and as the longer I held on to it, the more identified I became with it, because mm-hmm. it was like that one. It was that one vice, if you will, that like really got the blood flow and mm-hmm. with you know with the absence of alcohol and drugs, obviously. So what helped you, I'm going to take over this podcast. What (laughs) helped you to, (laughs) to get over or to make, um, changes in your life in that arena? Well, you, you repeat the same pattern for long enough and eventually you can't ignore it anymore. Or I guess you could, but the, the cost of ignoring it is mm-hmm. just going up exponentially, you know? So in the beginning, you're pretty much blind to it. And so ignorance is bliss, you know, mm-hmm. but then you make some pretty devastating choices and, uh, it comes back to bite you in the ass. And, and so you start to realize after some time, like, okay, this is because I continue to behave like this. And so, you know, I went on way longer than, than most people would probably. And, um, way longer in this particular arena when it comes to lust I went on way longer with this part than I 
went on in a lot of the other bad habits that I picked up along the way too, you mm-hmm. know, because this one is, we're talking about a, we're talking about a need here, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like that, that desire to procreate is, you know, mm-hmm. part of our instinct. And so, you know, I've had long conversations about this with like therapists and stuff. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a tricky one because, you know, when it comes to alcohol and drugs, mm-hmm. you know, you can lock that away in a cage and never touch it again. Mm-hmm. you know hopefully but when it comes to things like overeating or like sex things like that those are really tricky because it's not like you could just like abstain from that stuff forever yeah you know not realistically at least definitely not eating and not that it would be healthy at all to do so yeah if, if, even the book it says that you know, our desires are god given yeah you know what i mean or you know given by our higher power you got these desires and desires for a person and it's so funny i was just talking about this last night with another person desires are very interesting things because they're the most beautiful things that in the world that could create a passion in somebody and a um, such a positive force mm. in our lives but in the misuse of desires or in the non-recognition of desires taking over and become a motivating factor um, to um, abuse or misuse certain things because I know, you know, I'm an overeater, dude. I overeat, like, you know, all the time. If you could see, I got a big old belly. You know, <laughs> my sobriety belly, I call it. Yeah. But, I mean, I, at a certain point, we you got to do an ROI. You got to do an ROI, a return on investment. Yeah. <laughs> on, on these things. And that's why, uh, coming back to uh, doing an inventory, uh, just like segueing from it, doing an inventory is the best way to ROI yourself. Your return on investment. Is the things that I am coming into contact with in my life, um, holding on to them, is it, is it better for self-discovery that I keep holding on to them, or is it not? Are the things that I'm doing, my sh- defects and my shortcomings, is it better that I hold on to them or not? You can easily take a look at those things with a sponsor, you know, on the sheet of paper. You, even as you're writing it, <laughs> I feel like you start to really gain a, an idea of like the toxicity of holding on to resentments or holding on to different um, reactions and ways of being, uh, the question becomes after that is like, okay, how do I let these things go in a, in a way where um, it's healthy and helpful? Yeah. Well, to kind of go back to the question you asked me, you know, mm-hmm. like the when I finally did kind of like make progress in, in all that, what I, I, I learned a valuable lesson, you know, and so... When it came to relationships, specifically like romantic relationships, um, I had some terrible luck and I was definitely caught up in some toxic relationships when I was in my like early 20s and stuff like that. And um, one thing that I can say is on the subject of grief, Mm -hmm. you know, I've had I've had death, uh, you know, from people close to me and it was it was devastating for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've had some other tragedy happen in my life. Um, but for some reason, the betrayal of a lover, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the, the deterioration of a, a relationship with a romantic partner that you love dearly, you know, mm-hmm. that to me always hit the hardest. Right. That was, it, Cause like maybe like a death might impact me stronger initially, but then like, you know, you, it's like eventually you get you know you go through the the process of grief and then you kind of come to some closure but like a lot of times 
with the failed relationships, especially if I if I felt strongly about that person, you know, that really just affected me for so long, and and then the 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 followed me. The ghost of that relationship followed me into the next relationship and the next relationship, and like, you know, it was it was really it like kind of shook me to the core, and so grief you know and heartbreak i'll really call it you know heartbreak yeah. really was like my kryptonite mm. you know and um when i finally started to to take a look a hard look at the my my behavior like my lust and my motivation behind getting into relationships in the first place and like what was i really looking for in a relationship when i really started to take a hard look at all that things did start to change and so I got into a relationship and you were already sponsoring me at this point, but it was, you know, relatively early on. Mm -hmm. And, and for the first time, like I didn't just jump into bed with somebody and I was just, and I was trying to do the right thing. And, uh, I carried myself as best to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. Lord knows I wasn't perfect, but like to the best of my ability, I tried to do the right thing throughout the entire relationship from the very beginning to the very end. Mm -hmm. And, at the end the relationship failed you know and there was a little bit of a betrayal in there like there was some cheating yeah, and stuff I like remember. that and, yeah. and like the craziest thing happened that heartbreak was just like it was like a dull ache it didn't like shatter me into a million pieces like it had done so many times in the past and I walked away from that relationship with my head held high because you know I knew that like for the first time I could say that like I was legitimately a good person throughout that entire relationship mm -hmm. and when it failed it was like i felt sorry for them yeah. you know because they weren't they weren't ready to reciprocate that mm -hmm. and so i wasn't the one who was losing out yeah you know it was them because you know you kind of reap what you sow and you attract, you know, a certain type of person. And so, you know, the, uh, and hopefully not, but maybe, you know, they might be very well doomed to repeat that pattern until they learn yeah. from it just like I was. Yeah. But when I walked away from that with my health, my head held high, you know, within like two weeks, I was like kind of back to normal and it yeah. didn't take very long to like move on and, and do my, and do the next thing, you know? So, um, you know, that was definitely a powerful experience in a yeah. way. I remember you going through that and and seeing the way that you you held yourself, and I was very, I was very encouraged by that because um, I was looking at you doing that for yourself because I knew that was an area you struggled in, and I said, oh, if he can do that, I yeah, can, I can do that in some other facets of my life too, and that's where like the sponsor sponsorship relationship is totally just wiles me out when I think about it, because um, we hear like the 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 sponsor gains way more from the sponsee than uh, the sponsee does. And in, in a variable way, it absolutely does because I see the program again working in someone else's life and it makes me relive the moments of which it worked in my life and it's just this beautiful symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Well, I will say this. As a sponsor, mm -hmm. right, who has a little bit more time under their belt and their life is a little bit more stable, mm -hmm. you'd be hard-pressed to have the same amount of motivation as a sponsee who's, got, who's like running for their life oh still. Yeah, it's... It, it becomes uh, so insidious. The, the longer I get in this, mm -hmm. the more insidious this uh, disease gets in, in penetrating my thought process and trying to shape my ideas to, uh, to break down the, the work that I've, that I've done with the help of AA and my higher power and all this different stuff in my life and whatnot. 
Um, yeah, man, it's it's wild. So it's even more important to try to find those things that ground you in in truth versus the lies that my brain makes up because it's centered in my mind. Yeah, centered there. So as far as like a the actual journey to self discovery goes, um, can it has is there anything that you found that you really really enjoy in sobriety that you never had given a try previously? I mean, like I never really truly connected with people. I think that was the the biggest one, mm-hmm. um, because I was so busy trying to get them to do what I wanted. You know what I mean? Um, and um, that connecting with people really, really helped me to be able to come to a place where I felt more at peace with um, all the noise going on in my mind. Like, it wasn't just me that it was happening to. And, and that can take an immense amount of pressure off you and allow you to explore other avenues mm. um, of your spirituality, whether it be meditation, prayer, um, intensive reading journaling yeah like whatever it is drawing playing music yeah i was thinking that too like creativity yeah you know like i really i never considered myself a creative person at all but i'm finding myself Mm -hmm. really discovering that part of me that was kind of like hidden away for a lot of years you know i've been writing a lot um even making the videos and stuff like that has been sort of like a creative experience for me and so um you know i've been kind of I've been thriving in that, you know, like in like rediscovering and reinventing myself. And that's, that's kind of like a cool concept too, is like we get to reinvent ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, it's completely reasonable to, to say that you don't know who you are. No, you know, you don't. So there's definitely got to be a little bit of a trial and an error. Absolutely. You know, to figure out what it is that really makes you tick, you Mm -hmm. know, what, what gives you... Nothing in your life is off the table. Once you get sober, nothing in your life is off the table when it comes to um, uh, exploring passion and, and exploring um, the different facets of, I don't know, it just enjoying life and, and finding those those little tiny things that you draw inspiration from. Because I don't have one big thing in my life that, that I would say is like, this is the thing that really pushes me to do whatever it's all the little things oh absolutely little tiny things you would be i think you would be not in the greatest position if you had one major thing because that doesn't tend to work you need you need to have like uh you know half a dozen (laughs) things i'd say at least that like really keep you grounded and 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 get the blood flowing you know Mm -hmm. and and so like obviously like the 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 meetings steps sponsor all that stuff that's like you know its own thing for sure and that's a solid thing to have but you know it's you know you're you're that's like a foundation mm-hmm. you know and it's like if you don't build on top of that you know you're you're not getting all the rewards mm-hmm. that are available to you know recovery don't don't be afraid to build on the foundation either exactly i, I find also that people in, in the rooms will just keep hammering the same nails into the same foundation over and over again. And there's nothing wrong with keeping it green. You know what I mean? Like we have to keep it available in our yeah. minds. But the when the fear comes up of like, do I put myself out in in a spiritual way or in a personal way to um, to reach out to something that's not uh, something I've ever done before or something that uh, maybe I used to have a predisposed idea about or even a resentment towards um 
you know, if you put yourself out there to figure those things out, you're only going to get um, answers that are going to help you uh, progress forward. And it may look like a shut door. Yeah. But at, at least at that point, I've learned that shut doors and mistakes and things that I've done are only catalysts to the inevitable um, next big victory or, or next even small victory, but even the next beautiful thing that's going to come across. Mm. So, Yeah. Another thing I've noticed is uh, we tend to kind of uh, cling to like one form of self-development and kind of like uh, let others fall to the wayside, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, and that's like, you know, if you were building a house, you know, you, you wouldn't like build one room at a time and then deck it out with decorations and, and all this different furniture and stuff when there's still like half-built rooms, right. you know, across the hallway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you 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 gotta you gotta bring it from the ground up. You need to work on everything, and then you need infrastructure. Yeah. yeah, but it's like that's a tricky one because I do that all the time. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I'm like super willing to work on one aspect of my life, mm-hmm. like right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 area of focus for me is financial amends, mm-hmm. you know, and so yeah. I'm like super focused on that, super motivated to do all that, but like there's probably so many other things that's falling to the wayside in the process, you know. But that is a part of the journey though. That's a part of it. Yeah. It's it's a part of um it's a part of uh the the journey through of moderation, which I I really have always been a big opposition person of balance and and um and moderation to to an extent in the early years of my sobriety because I was like uh balance is a made up word. <laughs> and, <laughs> And moderation isn't something I'm good at, obviously. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the steps and, and good sponsorship and stuff like that helps you to, um, and, and having good friends, you know what I mean, helps you to understand and, and come to a place where um, balance isn't so scary and, and moderation isn't so out of reach in all other aspects of your life. Even the book talks about that, that even a person seemingly normal in every other respect being able to take care of their business and do everything, the the catalyst comes to the symptoms that arise out of taking a drink or a drug, mm. right? And then all all of it falls apart. But at at a specific point, that that ism can stretch into other parts of your life. So at that point, it's going in and recognizing that that ism when you see it, and. Um, taking the necessary steps because there's always going to be stuff you're going to need to work on Rob. There's always going to be things that are not getting as much attention, something that's getting too much attention or whatever. It's, it's having the mind to slow down and stop and say, you know, where am I at right now? Am I, uh, you know, am I feeling, um, a sense of, I don't know, like, uh, humility is such a great word for that. Like, cause the way I've described it, is a feeling of being small but not insignificant. I think you probably heard me say that. Yeah. Um, because if you can back off um, and kind of view the world from, from a bird's eye view and, and see everything's going okay and like all the things that you have going on in your life, you can only take one brick out of the truck at one time. Yeah. There's no way you can take them all. And those are those little things that you become okay with 
the stream of life. You become okay with where you are inherently um, if you can do that. Now, it comes and goes. I live in the fourth dimension. I'm out of the fourth dimension. <laughs> I'm in the present. I'm out of the present. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, I think that's just humanity in general because of outside sources, desires that are run rampant and things like that. But again, that's my opinion. Um, but hmm. I don't know. I had a whole other thing about like meta narratives. Which is a crazy topic, but we, we might be able to do that some other time. Because yeah. it, it coincides with this topic. Cause it's just like learned behaviors that you get from early childhood or, or from like ex-romance uh, relationships or friend groups that kind of like develop the way you see the world. And that goes a lot with um, the opposite side of, of self-discovery and, and, and living in a false perception. Um, yeah, I'm actually reading a book right now called The Denial of Death by mm-hmm. Ernest Becker, who's uh-huh. a, a, a student of Sigmund Freud. And um, the book is basically about how a lot of our personality is developed in childhood as a defense mechanism, mm-hmm. you know, as a way to repress the anxiety that is caused by the fear of death that is like inherent in every human being. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting read. Um, you know, there's certain parts of it where I kind of like question a little bit, but um, there's definitely some uncomfortable topics as well sure. in there because Freud <laughs> has a, he is ruthless when it comes to that stuff. Like he, he will not hesitate to talk about like your parents' genitals in great detail, you know? That guy's crazy. Yeah, so it's definitely uncomfortable at certain times, but it's it's made for an interesting read. I think I might do a video on it eventually. I, I think we could, and I, I would love to sit down and do do more topics like this. But I think like the main takeaway from this is like enjoy the journey, um, because it's only going to happen. From my understanding right now, <laughs> it's only going to happen once this way. Yeah, this way, um, and um, depriving yourself of the the tiny moments that um, really make life worthwhile, whether it's just connecting with somebody or the absence of your mind running rampant, being able to sit in peace is something that when I talk to my friends that are relapsers or anybody that relapses, that that's the, out of all the things that they lost, the thing that they always tell me that's the most um, depressing for them is the loss of, um, um, just being able to sit at peace with themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I think he nailed it. Because, like, a lot of times I look for these, like, giant things to happen. Like, these huge revelations. Like, in these, like, crazy cataclysm type of moments. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's not that those don't happen. They're just kind of rare. Um, but oftentimes, like, the spiritual, the vital spiritual experience I need to, like, rejuvenate my whole recovery and my whole life is, like, seen in the little things. Mm-hmm. You know, like just something clicks like you're looking at something completely unrelated to this topic and mm-hmm. it just like you kind of draw a parallel between the two things you know it's awareness mm-hmm. awareness is one of the best best and worst gifts that you get yeah <laughs> you become aware of all the cool things but you also become aware of all the all the little annoyances and stuff that that you do but be kind to yourself um and uh you know uh a prayer without action is just a wish Mm. So we, we try to move forward in whatever whatever little way we can. If you have a whole bunch of stuff going on in your life right now um, and you don't know how to solve it, 
take one thing. My sponsor's just told me recently, he's like, take one thing and try to do that one thing and get yourself back on, on track. All it's going to take is that one little thing, that yeah. one little victory. Yeah. That one little push. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, I feel like that was a, a good session. Thanks for having me, Rob. Yes, thanks for, for coming out, man. That was that was uh that was great and that was a good time and um I'll see you guys next time.